This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with my friend Michael Lejeune of RSM. And uh, you with anybody else, Michael? Not really. Not really. Cool. Tell people who you are and what you do. Just Michael. So my name is Michael Lejeune, and I have been with RSM for about a decade now. Uh, And my partner, Josh, and I have been together for about 20 years working on and off together. We've been in the defense industry for a long time. Former military, so former Army guy. And uh, I know what you're thinking. A guy named Lejeune was in the Army. You know, I did not know there was a Marine base named after the family name until I was in the army and that did not go over very well. So that was, that was a whole lot of fun for a brand new private in the army, but uh, got out of the army, got into contracting, been in that pretty much ever since. And our whole focus over at Arson Federal is just helping clients understand the market and how to win government contracts. Okay. Tell us a little bit about how you do that and tell them about the paid side of the site as well. Uh, A lot of folks come to us from one of a couple of different ways. The first one is our podcast. So we have a podcast. You've been on the podcast a few times, Mark. So game changers for government contractors. That's one of the ways people get to us. I think we're in the 175 ish episodes of that at this point. So that's going really well for us. And we try to bring on, yeah, we try to bring on, experts like yourself and other folks in the market to just talk about government contracting. So a lot of free advice there. The The next level is our books. So several books that we have, a bunch of Amazon number one bestsellers, you're in one of those as well. So uh, thank you for collaborating as much as you do with us. We really appreciate that. There's a Game Changers for Government Contractors book. So it was based on the actual podcast. We also have Insider's Guide to Winning Government Contracts. Uh, my partner, Josh, wrote that one. And then last year, we wrote one called Becoming a GovCon Expert. So those are a couple of different ways people can reach us. And then our coaching and training platform is called Federal Access. So just federal-access.com. People can go in there. They can get started with a free account. And then I, I really kind of equate that to a DIY program for government contractors. So you're new in the business. You want to figure it out. This is really like the junior college level. It's got all the documents and the templates and the training videos and all that kind of good stuff. And you can get started in there. And then once you start hitting roadblocks and you realize, hey, I probably need a little bit more than this. I need some handholding. There's several different coaching programs that people can get into where we'll literally hold their hand. And there's different tiers of that based on how much they need handholding. So that, that's kind of how we approach helping people in the market. Cool. All right. So we we touched on what's available through your company. What level of client are you targeting? Are you targeting the newbies are the relative newbies or the experienced or all of the above? All of the above. You know, we COVID was really interesting in 2020 with us. So we had the largest expansion of new companies come to us with people that didn't even have a name for their company and said, hey, I've got an idea. I'm thinking about government. I think we might be able to do this. 
Uh, I could do four things. Could you guys help us figure out which one of the four help us come up with a name for a company and then get into government contracting? So we had a bunch of those. And then we had people in the 500, 600 billion dollar side say, hey, we're trying to figure this out. We know we could be doing it better. Can we get some help from you? So anywhere from I'm not really sure if this market fits me to we're clearly doing well, but we want to do better uh, and a little bit of everything in between. I would say the majority of people that reach out to us are probably in the 10 to 20 million range, but the challenges are exactly the same, whether you're brand new to the market or you're doing $500 million. I I talked to a guy today from a very well-known company and he was trying to figure out the market and I was blown away that he was saying, well, you know, we're doing this PR campaign. We're reaching out to folks like yourself to let us let you know we're in the market. And I'm like, you're a major brand. Like if I said the name, everybody that's listening would know who this company is. Like you're a major brand and you're having newbie challenges because the the team just switched over. They made some new divisions in the company and now they're just scratching their head trying to figure out how do we run this hundred plus million dollar arm of this company, uh, even though we've done that well. And so a lot of the challenges are exactly the same, regardless of the size. Well, challenge number one often is how do you access the customer? And the answer is, you know, you need a contract. Yeah. um, Some sort of vehicle. Yeah. And, you know, before we even get in into that, a, a lot of people are saying, well, who's my customer? And in fact, that's probably one of the questions a lot of people never ask, because if you come from the commercial world, you don't really know you can ask that question. You think, hey, I'm sure everybody's my customer and I just need to start, you know, it's a numbers game, right? I need to start knocking on doors and making phone calls and all that. But with all the data that's available, the first challenge you can actually eliminate is who is my customer? Who's actually buying what I sell? And you can have a definitive answer to that instead of just guessing about it. Okay. So let's look at that for a minute. When you're talking, if somebody asks you, who should I sell to? Are you starting off with a functional area or a mission area? So I ask, well, what are you selling? right? Mm -hmm. And who typically buys from you. So trying to find out a little bit more about that. But my focus is usually as simple as a keyword. If I was trying to buy this, what would I go Google? You know, what would I type in Amazon? If I was trying to do your thing, what I, it was a specific keyword. And then sometimes it's not a keyword. It's a NAICS code or something like that. Because once we can identify that, we can, whether it's product or service, then we can jump into the data systems and see who's buying what you sell. And it's, it's just as simple as that. What is, what's the keyword? What's the NAICS code? What is a searchable term that your buyer is going to use? That's what I want to know. I'll add something to that for you. You probably know about it. You probably use it, but I go to the GSA e-library mm-hmm. and I plug in the keyword and if it's a phrase, I you know use exact phrase, otherwise keyword search, and it'll show you what companies are selling this, what schedules it's on, yeah, and gives you a pretty good idea of 
your battlefield. Yeah, absolutely. And so another thing that we really love to use that for, it, like you were saying, you know, it's it's really your competition, what they're selling. But you can find out other things they're selling, not just that one thing. So maybe their schedule's got several things on it. So now you're like, oh, I, I didn't really think about these other three tangential services that we have that we should be thinking about selling to the government. Oh, and by the way, your pricing. So now you have some intelligence on the pricing. How is that company pricing it based on what's on their GSA? Now, I don't recommend if you're a newbie to the market and you're, say, a $10 million company, I wouldn't necessarily look at the $100 million or billion-dollar company's GSA schedules for pricing information because they're probably going to be priced very differently than you. But it gives you a general idea, and then you can look up other people that are on GSA, people that are similar in size, and now you've got some really good pricing information in addition to all the tools that are out there. So there's so many tools, which in the commercial space, rather, you don't have access to that information. You're guessing. You know, somebody wins a contract with IBM and IBM doesn't publish in their database, hey, you know, Mike Lejeune won this contract. Here's what his pricing was and what the contract was. You don't know that type of stuff. Whereas yeah. in the government, it all gets published and it's it's all public. And now you have all this information to make your plan, which again, that, that's a challenge I see a lot of times is people just don't have a plan. They're taking what they did in the commercial market and trying to apply it to the government when it'll sort of work, but there's so much data available to help you make these decisions that you definitely should use it. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center. I'm here with Mike Lejeune. You can find him on LinkedIn. I suggest you do so. You can find him at rsmfederal.com, and you can find him at federal-access.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I'm here with Mike Lejeune. Uh, Mike and I haven't known each other that long, but he's become a uh, a go-to resource for me, particularly federal access when I get people calling and saying, hey, I need help. I don't do market entry consulting anymore. I probably could, but there's so many people who are better at it than me, and, and Michael is like at the top of my list there. We, we've only been hooked up for less than a year, right? Yeah, we, we've known each other sort of for like oh, two, right. but like we haven't really oh. connected like we did in the last year. You know, the last year yeah. we've got to meet each well, other knew, a lot better. Yeah, I knew you and Josh by reputation, but, you know, it wasn't yeah. until I picked up the phone yeah. that uh, things started clicking. And, I, and I'm glad you did. You know, we, we're, we're both been in the market kind of head down, just doing our thing. And now it was just time to kind of connect and learn a little bit more about each other. So that's point. I want to bring up one other thing that I use the e-library for. Most often when I get somebody calling who has a product, I will try to help because that's an area that I can help in. Not help them sell it to the government, but help them find a source that can adopt it for them. So I'll mm-hmm. do the same kind of search at the e-library, find out who the best people in the market are, the resellers of that particular product. And uh, I have a pretty good network of those people on LinkedIn. And if I don't, I'll just call and introduce myself. Yeah. But I've been able to locate a couple of hundred products that way with resellers because you know small companies that make stuff 
aren't set up to do this business. Right, right. Well, and you know, eLibrary is a great tool, but not everybody's in GSA, right? So when we also think about the tools, uh, just really quick, I think USA Spending is such a great tool. So usaspending.gov, you can very quickly find what you're looking for on there, who's buying what you're selling, that sort of thing. And the people that are already selling that stuff by keyword, by NAICS code, you can filter it by socioeconomic status. You can filter it by the type of contract, you know, firm fixed price, you know, cost plus, all those different things. So you get to filter a lot of that very easily. And I recommend usaspending.gov a lot right now just because the new sam.gov, which was FBO, the new sam.gov, uh, it's been real hit and miss for a lot of folks. They are still, they've <laughs> taken the, the beta.sam and merged it into sam.gov. I think most people describe it as a bit of a dumpster fire at the moment where there's mornings where you get on and it's amazing. And there's mornings you get on and it takes you to a blank screen. So sam.gov is going to be great eventually, but uh, that's kind of my second tool that I use a lot, but uh, yeah, sam.gov, usaspending.gov, you can get a lot of that information in there for the people that aren't selling via GSA. And it also cross-references some GSA stuff too. Yep. So let's move on a little bit here. We've touched on this in a variety of ways, but let's get specific. Biggest issues facing smaller contractors. What are they? Yeah, so I, I think the biggest issues, and I'll point to, to three of them real quick here. One of them is just running blind, not having any data, any research. They're just running absolutely blind in the process. And that creates a lot of frustration because they're like, hey, how do I get into this market? How do I get these people to call me back? What should I say to these people? Again, because they're just running blind. So that that's one. The second one that I see a lot is not understanding the process. It's very different than the commercial world. And when they don't understand the process that the government runs through, then again, frustration sits in like, well, why can't I call this person during the RFP because they did this wrong or whatever it is that why they want to, you can't do it that way. Well, why can't I just respond to RFPs and be the the best price? Well, because you got to build a relationship. Well, how do I build, you know, and so they just get really frustrated with the process. And a lot of times they just give up. And the third one that I see a lot is they don't have enough relationships. And when I say relationships, I mean with the customer and with teaming partners. And those are the the two areas that we've got to build relationships with because we want to be at some point that person that an RFP is wired for. We want to have built the relationship, done the homework, and, and cultivated relationships with partners so that when an RFP comes out, it is somewhat wired for us. And we can respond with confidence that we can win this thing. And you just can't do that without the right relationships. It's just, it's much harder. So I would say those are three of some of the biggest issues facing any small contractor. Yeah. The only bad review I got on Amazon from selling to the government was somebody who wrote, I bought this book hoping that it would tell me how to do business with the government. And the first thing Amtower says is 90% of the companies that enter the market will leave within a year blaming everybody but themselves. Right. They don't get it. Well, you know, that's not to discourage you. That's to tell you to open your damn eyes. Yeah, in your ears. You know, when, when people are giving you advice, I can't tell you how many times I've been coaching someone 
and they ask the same question every week. And I'll say, hey, I told you how to fix that last week. You didn't like the answer, but my answer is still the same. (laughs) We still have to do step one and then step two and then step three. And and people want to just say, well, hey, I want to reach out and just get a contract. You know, the, the talking about process wise, we have one client who kept telling us, hey, I'm a woman owned small business. Why can't they just sole source this stuff? Like, well, number one, they don't know who you are. Number two, they don't buy that. Just because you want to sell to an agency doesn't mean they buy what you sell. So it's like, let's go somewhere where they buy that. Let's build a relationship with them. Let's make sure you're the only person in the world that sells this or whatever it is, because we always think our product or service is unique. And a lot of times it's not. And and so there's that harsh reality, right? There's a harsh reality that, oh, I don't have a niche. There are other people that sell this. And now I've got to figure out how to differentiate myself. So, yeah. Yeah. I had a uh, company call me once and say, I have something that the NSA needs now. (laughs) I'm going, are you sure? But uh, one that you'll love, being a former grunt, I had this person call me probably 10, 15 years ago. And she said, I have this water system that is perfect for foot soldiers. And it'll only add 15 pounds to their pack. <laughs> Yay. As a former soldier, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> only 15. Damn. Yeah. That, that kind of pushes it to the 100 pound level. Um, yeah. Which is always fun to walk around. So you said one other thing, you know, the relationship side. Um, one of the reasons we partnered is I, I offer my services through your company, uh, not exclusively through your company, but I do. Uh, but LinkedIn training, uh, when you talk about relationships, the, the easiest way outside of finding people on government sites and on contract uh, information sites is to go to LinkedIn, pull up the agency, pull up the operating division and plug in a job title. It can be that simple. I've identified more than 315 operating units in the federal government that have company web pages. And that means that you can see who the employees are and you can search them by job title. And I'm getting ready to, uh, you know, every January I'll release the new census. So February of this year, I, I published the uh, 2021 census point. 028 million feds on LinkedIn. I've done the prelim and we're pushing back up to 2.1 million feds identifiable nice. on LinkedIn by agency and operating division. Nice. Well, and you know, here's my two cents on, on LinkedIn as well. You know, it, it's one of those places where you don't normally have all of the crazy stuff that you would see on the other platforms, like the cat videos and all of that kind of stuff. It really is business focused for the most part, like 99%. And so people that get in there and look at it are looking for information. They're looking for articles, tips, tricks, all these different kind of things, just business stuff. And whether they're a professional or whether they're another business or an agency, whatever, whoever it is, 
they're looking for business related stuff. And so they go there, they spend their time on it. They're looking through all that kind of stuff for a specific reason. And when they get connection requests that are meaningful and they, the person follows up with them, the person stays in the loop, the person comments on them stuff. Eventually it builds a relationship. It's one of the things that I tell all of our clients the moment you find a contracting officer's name, so you run into them, whether it's on an RFP, an RFI, whatever it is, go see if they're on LinkedIn, connect with them on LinkedIn, start following their stuff, start commenting on their stuff. Don't just say, hey, thanks for sharing all the time, like add some value to it so that two, three weeks from now, when I do call Susan that I have a relationship with on LinkedIn, I'm no longer Michael, the contracting guy. I'm Michael from LinkedIn. She knows me. We have this semi-relationship going from all of our back and forth. She's commenting on my stuff. And people really dismiss the fact that you can build a relationship like that. But I've done it. I've done it many times where I have built relationships with contracting officers and other folks where we may have gone back and forth for two or three years on LinkedIn before we ever had a conversation. But by the time we did, it was like we were old friends. That's so valuable to use that resource. Yeah. The, the, uh, the simple way, you know, turn a cold call into a warm call. Yeah. It's the uh, fastest way it. to do it. Yep. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Michael and I will return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Michael June of RSM Federal, Federal Access. Um, and multiple books. Find Michael on LinkedIn, L-E-J-E-U-N-E, Michael Lejeune. That's perfect. Um, So take note, uh, find him, reach out. Well worth your effort to do so. So let's talk about how small businesses can grow in this market. Let me just throw out a scenario. I'm I'm working with uh, uh, several companies right now, but one in particular, and they focus on a subdivision of the Department of Commerce, NOAA, but in NOAA NWS. And they wanted to branch out. And I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, all of the climate stuff that's going on right now. And my question to them was, do you think this is going away or do you think this is going to grow? You know, you're involved in the analytics here and the analytics is uh, um, involved in all of these predictions uh you know whether the storm's coming today next week next month what the next hurricane season is going to be like and they said well yeah it's probably going to grow and i go why don't you grow with it your thoughts please yeah well so if you if you talk just about the climate stuff so there's a, a whole industry there in fact i was just talking to somebody earlier today i said if i was starting a new company here's one of three or four things that I'd be looking at when you look at like the new infrastructure bill that's out there and other things and just where the focus is people that get early in this stuff are usually the ones that make a lot of money. Right. So if we look at things and say, Hey, this isn't going away, that isn't going away. And what are the problems? Like a buddy of mine, I was talking to today in staffing and he was like, man, this is such a hard business. I'm like, but is it a hard business because it's a hard business or is it a hard business? Cause most of you suck. And that was, that was just kind of how I put it because I was like, 
the problem exists and nobody's solving the problem because if people were solving the problem, people would be running to the solution. And I don't see that being solved anywhere, whether it's on the, you know, the monster.coms of the world, if monster.com even still exists these days, but, you know, regardless of where it exists, the problem is out there in the market and it needs solved. So if I can be an early adopter to that and have a solution, uh, I'm going to be around to, to take a huge market share at some point. So yeah, that that's one thing when you look at where's a problem that's not being solved, how can we solve it? How can we be kind of first to market? And that opens up a lot of doors in government. That's how I got started in government. I got out of the army, got into the business, and it was well before Zoom and Microsoft Teams and RingCentral and all these platforms we were one of the first back in 1999 doing this exact same thing. We had video, we had conferencing where you could put a thousand people in a room and they could watch a presentation. And we were the only service in the world doing this thing. And we were sole sourced millions of dollars to do it. And then Microsoft bought one of our partners (laughs) and uh, kind of absorbed the technology and said, Hey, why don't you guys all switch to SharePoint? Why don't you switch to, you know, and, and you just can't compete with them. But, you know, we were early in this field. They saw it. And now, you know, they're they're dominating this field quite a bit. But now there's other technologies that have come around as well. So, so yeah, I think trying to solve a problem that nobody else is solving is a really great way to grow in this market. And especially when it's mission critical. So I'll give you an example. The, the tool we were using, it was so mission critical that people were dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars on credit cards to get this stuff as quickly as possible, bypassing contracting uh, officers and different things like that, especially around 9-11 when we were, we were really exploding in the market um, because the government at the time couldn't do something as simple as coordinate an airstrike from D.C. with intelligence from Iraq and airplanes that were in Turkey or wherever they were, but yet they were doing it through our tool. And it was like the first time it had ever been done seamlessly. Like they were literally giving instructions to pilots in the air about to drop bombs uh, over Iraq. They were doing it through our tool and they were blown away. They could do it as well as communicate with troops on the ground. Uh, They were communicating um, and, and performing the special operations missions that normally took days to send uh, data from, you know, one spot to another in a Humvee, they were doing it through our tool in seconds and planning rescue missions and stuff like that. And so we solved an urgent problem. They didn't really, they knew it sucked to do their job, but they didn't know how bad. And then we brought in a solution and opened their eyes and they were like, Oh my God, we got to have it. Don't, I don't, I don't care what it costs. Gotta have it. Yeah, and, and a lot of the stuff is going to be more mundane, but the, the problems yeah. are going to be the same. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter. Finding the trends, I mean, uh, you, can, you can Google, you know, Gartner Trends Report and get a synopsis of, you know, the top 10 trends coming down in the next 36 months. Uh, that, that seems kind of nebulous, but it, actually it's, it's quite good. Yeah. If you want to buy the report, you know, you're going to use up a significant portion of your budget, but you can use these things as baselines to figure out where you fit in the game. Yeah. But you can also just pay attention. And, and that's another one where I think a lot of people don't pay attention or they see something and they go, 
Uh, this is a, a nuisance, but I don't, I don't know. As an entrepreneur, I see a problem and go, is this isolated or is it widespread? If it's widespread, how can I, you know, invent something? How can I bring something to market? How can I change a process to solve this widespread problem? Because at the end of the day, the guys who keep solving the problems are making money. And, and that's where I think a lot of this game, the government contracting game, if you will, is what I call it, is about the mindset and how you approach it as a business person of I'm trying to solve problems. I'm not trying to sell a widget. I'm not trying to sell a service. I'm trying to solve a problem. And when you're trying to solve a problem and you can communicate the value you provide by solving that problem, light bulbs go off. And you get contracts. I, I'm here today because of that approach. Yeah. But there are a lot of companies that sell widgets. So yeah. one of the favorite companies I like to talk about is a company called Demco. They're out in Madison, Wisconsin. They are D-E-M-C-O. They sell library stuff. You can't get much more mundane than that. <laughs> but I consulted with them back in the 90s. And I when I went out... I took a couple of my favorite catalogs, the original Banana Republic and something called Paper Direct. And both of them had little vignettes in the catalog telling stories. How do you use this? Where did I find it? That kind of thing. Demco is the most informational website of any contractor I have seen anywhere. Uh, And like you, I look at a lot of those things and Mm -hmm. they dominate that market. And, and YouTube, right? Thousands of videos. How do, you know, how do you put back together a book that's falling apart and make it look good? They got videos. I mean, you know, a couple of hundred views, but the only, the people who watch that are the people who need it. Right. 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 Well, and it's, it there, even though it's a mundane product in, in some respect, it's still providing a value. Yep. And, and that's, and that's again, where, People dismiss the value and focus on the widget. Hey, I'm selling a widget. We got to get away from selling the widget and selling the solution to a problem, even if it's as simple as a a pencil. You know, it's stop selling the pencil and start selling what the pencil does and how it provides value to that person. Right. And and there are good pencils and not so good pencils. That's right. Yeah. And and you get in the pen market, we can really talk about that one, pens and markers, you know, from the ones that leak all over your hands. You know, and that was, it was funny. I, I, I just bought some stuff for my daughter for school and she was like, those leak. I can tell you right now, those leak. It'll, it'll take the first time you use it. And sure enough, the first time I used it leaked all over my hand and I threw away the whole package. And, uh, and she was like, no, these are the no leak ones. And this is why. So there's value in having a no leak pin, right? And, and so a it's, daughter that knows the difference. And a daughter that knows the difference. And so it's the same with your, your customers. They know the value of, of certain things. So. Indeed. Okay, we're going to take a final break. I'm here with Mike Lejeune of RSM Federal. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Michael Lejeune. Uh, again, find him on LinkedIn, L-E-J-E-U-N-E, Michael. Um, uh, and I believe you're the only one there. I'm so, not. You're not? I'm the only I'm Mark not. Amtower there. 
Yeah, I'm not the only Michael Lejeune. In fact, there is another Michael Lejeune. He's older than me, who is also a consultant in the government space, but he only consults in like HR type of stuff. And so uh, a couple of times a year, I'll get on a phone call and somebody will be asking me HR questions. I'm like, wrong Michael Lejeune. <laughs> Let me get you. I actually, so this is kind of a funny story here. Talk about building relationships. Uh, several years ago, I was like, I wonder how many there are. There's about a dozen of us and I'm connected to all of them. I reached out specifically to connect to all the Michael Lejeunes to network with them on the off chance that any of us ever got, you know, people from the, uh, you know, their other industries, we could always refer them back to each other. And that happens to us all the time. So. Very cool. Um, As far as I know, I'm the only Mark Amtower on LinkedIn. I am not the only Mark Amtower in the universe. The other Amtowers reside in West Virginia. I do not. Um, I reside on LinkedIn. I reside. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I have a street address there too. So let's get back to the topic at hand which is uh, teaming, partnering, joint ventures. Are they worthwhile? Are they lucrative? Oh, yeah. Ooh, man, that's a, that's a loaded question there. So let, let me uh, start off by saying most of the time, what you need is a teaming agreement. Most of the time, you don't need a joint venture. And I'll, I'll explain the difference. So a teaming agreement is just a document between you and another company. It's a way of partnering to work on a contract. It doesn't tie you together. You're not married in any way. It, they're not going to get access to your books, any of that kind of stuff. You're just saying, hey, Mark, I want to team with you on this contract. Here's the work you're going to do. Here's the work I'm going to do. And we're, we're in agreement to all this stuff. That's what you need most of the time. When you get into JVs, JVs or joint ventures, that's an actual legal entity that has to get created, its own bank account, its own EIN number, its own life and all that kind of stuff. And typically what will happen is two companies will come in and say, hey, let's each be on the joint venture. Uh, And a lot of times or in the past, we saw this in construction a whole lot. People would do this in that area. And then in the government space, we started seeing it a whole lot in the small area to try and leverage a status. So, hey, I'm SDVOSB, we're small, we want to team with a larger company, and it's not going to work this way. So what we need to do is form this JV, and it got all complicated. And so, and and I'm trying to simplify this for time here. And so what I typically recommend is, hey, don't go down the JV route unless you're going to do that with your mentor in the mentor protege program, which is a whole other podcast into itself. And when you do that during that program, it's got to be approved by the SBA and everybody. So it takes time. So again, you don't necessarily need to go down that route to accomplish the same thing as a teaming agreement, but people seem to think, Hey, I need this joint venture. So the large can act just like it's a small um, when in reality, the teaming agreement will get you pretty much everything you need. So Uh, The teaming agreements, uh, one of the things I recommend when you're teaming with another company, if you can, stay away from work share agreements. So, which is, hey, I get 10% of the work, you get 90 or 49, 51, whatever it is. Stay away from that when you can. Really focus on, you know, specific task areas. So, a contract comes out, it's got 12 task areas. You want two or three FTEs on task area three, five, seven, and nine, or whatever it is. 
be very clear, very specific about what you're doing, what the other company's doing, because these agreements where it's just percentage of work, a lot of times those turn out bad. You know, people start onboarding clients and, hey, we'll get to you, we'll get to you. They never get to you. So you've won a contract with a partner. They're the prime. And next thing you know, you haven't won any work. And so teaming can be very lucrative when you have the right agreements in place with the right partners. And so part of that is just doing your due diligence to make sure they're a good company to work with. So before you get into bed with them with too much work, you know, do some small projects, some really simple, small stuff, make sure they're a good teaming partner. We talked earlier about USA spending, uh, gov and, and sam.gov. You can go in there and find people who are selling to your clients already and, you know, I don't necessarily recommend you go to the top person. So if, if you're a brand new company in the business, maybe you don't want to go to the company that's the $4 billion company and ask them to team. Maybe you want to team with somebody else that's closer to your size. They're, they're newer. Maybe they're $5 million, Maybe they're $10 million. It's going to be a little easier to get a hold of them. But guess what? They have access to the customer. And when you think about teaming, that is the number one reason most people team. Somebody on the team has access to the customer. They have a relationship. They probably won some business with them, or maybe they came from there at some point. So access to the customer is really big. The second reason is capability. So if I'm looking at an RFP and I don't have all of the capabilities, I need a teaming partner. Maybe I don't have the past performance. Maybe I don't have a PhD level person and it requires a PhD level person. So that's why we go into teaming. So relationships and capabilities, those are the two big ones. So now here's the deal. You're either a prime or a sub when you get into teaming. And so being a prime, uh, there's a lot of upside to being the prime because you control everything, right? There's a lot of downside to being the prime because you control everything and, you know, you've got to deal with the RFP process and managing and all that kind of stuff and the money and the budget and everything. But it's good to be the prime. It's also good to be a sub. The, the thing I tell a lot of people is the dollars are the same. So they're, they're all good green dollars. They spend the same. And when I'm a sub, I don't have all of that burden of, you know, working the RFP all the way through. I have my part. I need to contribute, but uh, you know, you don't necessarily have all of that burden. Um, One of the cool things about teaming is when you find a good teaming partner, they can be the prime on some stuff. You can be the sub. And then on the next contract, maybe you flip it and maybe you flip it on the next one because let's say I'm a SDVOSB and you're a WOSB. Well, on the one contract, I'm going to prime because it requires a a service-disabled veteran company. And then on the other one, you're going to prime it because it requires a WSB, a woman-owned company. And then so we can go back and forth being primes and subs because we have a good working relationship and it just requires it. The other cool thing about that is maybe you're working for, let's say, the Army. And you're working for the Army and everything's going great. And all of a sudden you determine that, hey, they're buying a lot more stuff on one of these statuses I don't have. So it's my customer, but I can't get access to these certain contracts because I don't have that status. If I go get a teaming partner who does have the status and say, hey, I'll bring my relationship, you bring your status and some extra capabilities, 
now we can expand what we're doing at that agency. And so there's a lot of upside to finding the right teaming partners to fill in those little gaps that will give you an edge over the competition. And so that's just, I, I could probably talk for hours. So I'm going to shut up and let's see what question you have. Um, oh, I, I just want to highlight topic. one thing you said there. You said, you know, when, when you, when you understand how you each fit and you're looking at the agency, there's always the opportunity to expand the business at that agency. Yep. And the, the agency based approach, especially for smaller companies is the one that I find that uh, there's still some resistance to with a lot of smalls because they want to sell to quote the government and they, they don't understand that that relationship component it's easier when you focus on one agency and become known there mm-hmm. as a reliable contractor yeah and, and i'll tell you a quick example i'm not going to name the company but I, i've got this one client that in her first year in business did oh gosh almost three million dollars in contracts and oh. one agency one client and when we backed up, I said, hey, do you, is there, there some other agencies you want to work with? And she's like, no, not really. You know, she's like, out of this one agency, they've got 16 offices around the country. I'm currently in three of them. I really, I want to work with the other 13. And that was the plan. And over the next year, she got 10 more. So she's working with 13 of the 16. And her plan this year is to get the other three, right? And she has made more profit off of that than anything I can imagine because she's so well-known. She can charge a premium for what she's doing and she gets referred business internally by the customer. Like the customer goes to their primes and says, Hey, we're getting ready to do this contract. You need to hire XYZ company because they're the best in the business. That needs to be your sub. And so the, the customer has been a huge advocate for her. It doesn't happen all the time like that, but that laser focus on being the best at what you do in one agency has paid massive dividends for this company. Yeah, it, it, it's um, go back to the relationship things. You know where the bodies are buried. You know their yeah. preferred vehicles. You know their budget cycle. And you know what's coming down the pike. So yeah. basically you're a subject matter expert on that agency they know that they appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, it's huge. And you can make a lot of money going deep into one agency instead of spreading yourself. Then that, that's, I'm always saying, look, stop this mile wide and an inch deep thing. And let's go an inch wide and a mile deep. And once you, once you figure that out, then we can approach another agency and then another agency, but let's get really good at this one before we try to, you know, start, swinging at the fences all over the place. Yep. Michael, give me some final thoughts, man. You know, the, the government is not a hard business to crack. It's not, there's just a handful of things. And once you learn that handful of things, like once you understand how to get the data, how to use the data, how to build relationships with organizations and other contractors, once you figure those things out, it's rinse and repeat just all day long. The good and the bad thing about the government is it hasn't changed a whole lot in the last 30, 40 years. It's just changed how they do some of it. 
but the way to that you go about it is the same as when I got in the business 20 years ago. And again, just rinse and repeat with minor little changes here and there. So it's not that hard. I would encourage anybody that is thinking about this business to take a hard look at the data, make sure the government's buying what you sell, make sure you start to understand this process and just educate yourself that again, from the, the books on Amazon, you're talking 20 bucks a book, your book, our books, you can educate yourself really well for under a hundred bucks and you can determine, Hey, is this the right market for me? And if it is, you can go in head first and really make a splash in this market really, really easily. Yep. Michael, thank you very much, man. Always a pleasure, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure as well. This is not my day job. I do advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. I focus on LinkedIn. I focus on building a subject matter expert platform and leveraging content marketing. So if any of that resonates, drop me a line, Mark Amtower at Gmail. Uh, Look up uh, Josh and Michael at RSM Federal. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 